And thinking about journeys, um, I was reminded of a journey that, that ended for a, a 31-year-old Brit back in, in 1849. Um, back in... Uh, Back in 1849, a young Brit, 31-year-old Brit named uh, Joshua Norton, uh, he finally arrived after traveling for months, he finally arrived in San Francisco. And, uh, and Norton, Norton was a well-traveled, he was a well-connected guy, so it didn't take him that long to, to kind of make inroads into the, to the business community there in, in San Francisco. It didn't take him too long to get invited into some pretty major business dealings, um, the last of which, though, um, it, it absolutely wrecked him. Norton had tried to, to corner the commodities market and he wound up losing everything. He lost all of his money, lost all of his standing, lost his friends. And he got so, he got so disillusioned. He got so disillusioned with the, with the American financial system. He got so disillusioned with the American political system. He got so disillusioned in fact that in September of 1859, uh, 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 Joshua Norton, he proclaimed himself King Norton I. He was Norton I, Emperor of the United States. I mean, he, he made himself king. He made himself king complete with big feathered hat and all. Um, and, and, and King Norton, he, he wasn't without some local popularity. He wasn't without some, some sort of regional notoriety. Um, he got free rides on the city buses, he got, he got free rides on the, on the local ferries. They even had money printed up with his picture on it. Um, but when King Norton died, he died on a busy public street corner, penniless and powerless and completely alone. And as we return to our, our Lenten sermon series, I want us to learn... I desperately need us to learn the lesson of Joshua Norton. Because I fear that a lot of us, in fact, I fear that most of us are probably trying to play his same game. We're trying to be kings. We're trying to be queens. We're, we're trying to rule. We're trying to rule our little fiefdoms, our little fiefdoms of, of convenience and, and control, those those places in our lives, those areas in our lives that we really don't want God messing with. We've all got things like that. Those places in our lives with little to no room for Jesus. And yet all the while he still comes to us. He still comes begging us. He still comes demanding of us to be enthroned as master. All the while Jesus still comes to us demanding to be enthroned as Lord. Who do you say that I am? Jesus, your Lord. Lord. Of the over, of the over 300 titles by which Jesus is known by, throughout all of Scripture, of the over 300 titles that Jesus is called Lord, Lord is probably amongst the hardest. It may be, it may very well be the hardest name by which we call out to Christ, Lord. I mean, these confirmations have just come, and they've made their public profession of faith, and we celebrate with them. This is the biggest, this is the biggest decision that you will ever make in your life, and we are thrilled. We are overjoyed to get to be here and to witness it and to encourage you. You have told the world that, that Jesus is your Savior, and that is awesome. That is great. We love that for you, and we love that for ourselves. We all like having Jesus as our Savior. 
but they've also come forward to, to tell the world that Jesus is their Lord. And that's where it gets hard. That's, that's where we struggle. We struggle to surrender. To, to surrender to God's rightful claim on every part of our lives. It's a struggle to surrender to his will and to his way. To surrender every single decision of every single day. Jesus, your Lord. And, and that's exactly what we, we see in our scripture for this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be in the book of First Peter this morning. So pull out your Bibles if you have them. Maybe you have a Bible app on a cell phone or a tablet with you this morning. Go ahead and turn it on. Again, we're going to be in the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 3 this morning. First Peter chapter 3, looking this morning at verses 15 and 16. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Peter writes, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that's in you. Yet, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, notice that Peter says, when you are maligned, not if you are maligned. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. In your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. It, it means to set him apart. It means to set Jesus apart from everything else in our lives. It means to set Jesus above everything else in our lives. Not just to worship him, not just to believe him, but to obey him. To obey him, to, it means that, that we keep Jesus as, as different, keep Jesus as, as superior, superior to everything else. He is so different, in fact, that he makes us different. He's different than everything else, and it makes us different than everybody else. You see, that's the call, that's the claim of faith. Real faith, it dares us, it, it tells us that we, for lack of a better term, it tells us that we got to be weirdos. Confirmance, can y'all do that for us? We got to be weirdos. Tells us we got to be weirdos in this big old world of ours. And, and, and so if we're fitting in maybe just a little too well, if you and me, if we're fitting in just a, a little too easily around these parts, and the Bible says that we've got, we've got good reason to maybe be concerned. It means that, that we've got good reason to be concerned because maybe, maybe we haven't given Jesus his rightful place. Maybe it means that we haven't given Jesus his, his rightful due. We haven't given him his, his, his rightful sway, his reign in our lives. Maybe it is that we have received Jesus as Savior, but we're resisting him as Lord. And if that's the case, then, then really what we are, if, if that's the case, then, then, then we're just users. In other case, we're just, we're just users. We're using Christ's profound sacrifice. We're using Christ's great sacrifice for, for our own personal gain, for our own, for our own personal comfort. And we're making a, cross, a mockery of the cross in the process. And Jesus, Jesus took that sort of faith, Jesus took that sort of supposed faith head, head, just head on. In, in the Gospel of Luke, 
Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? He says, why do you say Lord, Lord, and, let, and yet you don't do what I tell you to do? And I don't know about y'all, but that hits a little too close to home for me. Because truth be told, we all worship something. Everybody worships something. Everybody worships someone. Even, even atheists do. Maybe it's money. Maybe, maybe that's our Lord. Maybe it's ease or safety or maybe it's stability. Maybe it's self. Maybe we're worshiping ourselves. We all worship something. But the way of Jesus Christ, real faith, it comes and it sanctifies Christ as Lord. It sets him apart and it changes everything. And we start to live such, such different lives. We start to live such markedly, unapologetically, clearly, uh, maligably different lives. We start to live such different lives that people start to take notice. People are supposed to notice. They're supposed to notice the difference that Christ has made. People are supposed to see it. They're supposed to notice the, the hope that's in us. And they're supposed to notice the kindness that's in us and the gentleness and the compassion. They're supposed to notice the love that's in us. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Jesus said as he was washing his disciples' feet, as he was washing, washing even Judas's dirty old feet, Judas's feet, which would that very night run away, run to, to betray Jesus? On that very night, after Jesus had washed their feet, after he'd put his robe back on, after he'd gone back to the table, Jesus said, do you know what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. We're blessed not just in the knowing, we're blessed in the doing. Not, not because we're, we're, we're saved by our works, but because we're known by them. And because Jesus is made known in them. But, but only, but only when we will leave this, our worldly thrones of tin and cast our crowns before the one, cast our crowns before the only one who lives and reigns forever and ever. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Todd, I love that line. And I've heard Todd uh, share it. And I wrote it down because it's one of the most beautiful definitions of salvation that I've ever heard. Listen to what Todd just shared with us. Leave our worldly thrones of tin and cast our crowns before the one who lives and reigns forever and ever. Shakespeare never put anything better than that. But I want us to think about that. Not just these young people that we want to talk to today, but all of us. Remember that moment that we made a profession of faith. Pastor Todd is right. We like the Savior part. And how do we get a Savior? Remember, we don't do anything except receive the gift. We open our hands and said, Lord, I receive you as my Savior. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. It's grace. 
love given to us on the cross that we accept. We like that. Where the rubber hits the road is when we promise to follow him as Lord. And I love the way Pastor Todd defines that for us. We need to to think about that. What does it mean to follow Jesus as Lord? And what I want us to know, it's not just a decision that you make today and that's it. It's a decision that you need to make and all of us need to make every single day to follow Jesus as Lord. Because I love the word in the scripture. It basically says we sanctify Christ as Lord. That word sanctify means to be holy, which means every day that we follow Jesus as Lord, we become more and more like him. We're either growing more like Jesus every day or we're becoming less like Jesus every day because there's no middle ground in the faith. We don't reach a point and we say, we're gonna pitch our tents here, we're done. We are either growing into more or we're retreating into less. That's the way it works. So to follow Jesus as Lord means that I wanna take that seriously to become more like Jesus every day. So how do we do that? I was thinking back, when I was in high school and college, some of my really closest friends were Roman Catholic and I would go to mass with them a lot. And my favorite part of mass was before the gospel reading, the whole congregation would make the sign of a cross and they would pray together a prayer that they all knew. Before the gospel reading, they would pray, Christ be in my mind, Christ be on my lips, Christ be in my heart. I think that's what it means to have Jesus as our Lord. Every day, we pray to become more and more like Jesus. So I want us to think about that prayer and think about what does it mean to follow Jesus as Lord? So the first thing is Christ be in our minds. The battleground of faith starts in our minds and how we think. And it's so important that we're aware of those thoughts. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter two, verse five, he said, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Literally, let Christ's mind be in us and let it guide our lives, guide our lives. The truth of the matter is the world has a very different agenda than Christ's agenda. And when we're under stress and pressure, we can think in a different way. Or when the devil tries to attack us, the first place of attack is in our minds. It's up here that the battle to derail our faith begins. So we need to constantly guard our minds and let the mind of Christ be in us. This year during Lent, I went back and it picked up one of my old Lenten uh, devotional ways that I had several years ago. And that is I had a spiritual director and guided me to be aware of my thinking. Now I have to be honest with you, I'm wound a little tight. I am anxious, I can get worried. I just can get kind of wound up sometimes. So during Lent, I have a little rubber band. And every time I have a negative thought or I start to worry, I have to pop myself. Now I'll be honest with you, Todd laughs. This is a pretty gentle rubber band. (laughs) And I'm pretty easy on myself when Pastor Pastor Todd is around, I have to pop myself more. But when I pop myself, it's a wave saying, John, let the mind of Christ be in you. You're not thinking Jesus way. So how does the devil attack us in our thoughts? I want us to look at some of these just to be aware of, because I think it's important. Uh, Look at these, some ways that the devil attacks our thinking. First is black and white thinking. 
thinking that everything is all one thing or all another. It's all good or it's all bad. The mind of Christ comes and says, that's not exactly the way that it is. The truth is, most everything in life is somewhere in between those two. On the worst day, there's still really good things that are happening, if we could see it. And on our best day, there's still problems and challenges that are there. It's not either or, it's both and. We need to be aware of that. Second is personalizing. And that is something bad happens and we think it's all my fault. And we tend to blame ourselves for everything that happens. The mind of Christ comes and said, there, it says to us there are going to be things that happen in life that we have nothing to do with. We're not responsible for. We didn't cause it. We need to know that we can't own that which is not ours to own. And the enemy wants to drag us down with that. The third is filter thinking. And that is we think that everything is just bad. We filter out all of the good. And again, the mind of Christ says things are not what they seem. It's not what you think. Even in this bad situation, God is working his good. There are unintended consequences that will happen. Something can good even can come from this. And then the last one is my specialty, and that is catastrophe thinking. And that is something happens and we think it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. The sky is falling. We panic. And I am terrible about this. And every time it happens, we need to remember what the mind of Christ says. In this bad moment, don't panic. Breathe. And look down at our wrist and know that God is big enough. Even here, we can trust the Lord. If we're going to live with Jesus as Lord, the first battleground is in our minds through the way that we think. Can the mind of Jesus be in us? Christ be in our minds, then Christ be on our lips. Does the way that we speak, and when I say speak, I also need to just add the way we speak, the way that we text, the way we sit down and write emails. Does that build people up? Does it encourage? Does it lead people to Christ? Or does it deflate people and drag people down and make people want no part of Christ? We need to be careful about the way that we speak and text and write. Because the truth of the matter is we live in a world that everybody doesn't think like we think. We don't all see eye to eye. We have different backgrounds. We have different worldviews. We come at things differently. So the question is, how in the world can we get along with all of our differences? And I love our scripture. Peter gives us such wisdom. What does he say? You need to be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that is within you. What he's saying is we need to be able to share what we believe clearly, concisely, in our own words, be able to talk about what's important to us, the values that shape us. But notice something else. It's not just what we say, but how we say it. Yet do so with gentleness and reverence. Does the way that we speak and text and email, does it build people up and make them want to experience Christ? Can we bring Christ into the world even with those folk we don't see eye to eye with? <clears throat> if Jesus is going to be our Lord, we're going to have to take this very, very seriously. Love the story. There's a statue called Christ of the Andes 
on the border between Chile and Argentina. It's an amazing story. The statue is beautiful, and they erected it as a sign that as long as that statue stands, there will be peace between the two nations, that they would never attack each other, they would never be at war, they would live at peace. So they put the statue up, and it was wonderful, but right away, the people of Chile got upset. There was a problem, and it really became a very big problem because the statue was facing Argentina, and who they saw was the back. And they said, that's not fair. He's facing Argentina. They get the good side. We just get Jesus back. They were mad. People were grumbling. Really, this became a huge problem in the nation until one newspaper reporter found the right words that changed everything. This newspaper reporter um, wrote an editorial. And in this editorial, he changed everybody's mind, diffused the situation, even made them laugh. And we wonder, what are these right, wonderful words that he found? Listen to what the newspaper reporter spoke. He said, the people of Argentina need more watching over than the people of Chile. <clears throat> and the Chileans loved it, and there was no longer a problem. That a great story. We need words like that. Words with gentleness and, and humor. Words with reverence that lead people to Christ. We need those words that build people up and encourage. Words that bring peace and bring people together and not division. Through the way that we speak and text and write, can people know that Jesus Christ is our Lord? <clears throat> then the final thing, and I really want to say this to our young people, the final step is Christ needs to be in our heart. Not just once, but every single day. Because the way that we change and live a life of faith is from the inside out. That's why when we make a profession of faith, what do we say? Did you notice your last promise is that you will live together in the church? Because Christianity has to be lived together with others who keep us on the way, who encourage us, who help us run the race of faith. That's why when we make a profession of faith, we're supposed to worship because we need to come and know that God is alive and fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray because we need to talk to our Lord and listen to our Lord and daily put him in our hearts. And we need to serve and work because we wanna follow in the footsteps of our Lord. It's so important that Christ be in our hearts because the way we live our faith is from the inside out. After I heard Todd's story about the man in San Francisco and his crown, I thought about a story from my life. When I was in high school, I graduated from Parkway High School, Bossier City, Louisiana in 1975. Now I tried to do our class chant and I blew it at 9.30. Goodness gracious sakes alive, we're the class of 75. There you go. Well <laughs> Any other class of 75ers here, you will probably remember that. There we go. We've got some witnesses. <laughs> Anyway, our high school, um, the big fundraiser for the student council was a beauty pageant every year, and about 150 girls would be in this beauty pageant. It was held over two nights, and I will never forget my senior year, an unexpected person won the pageant. Her name was Velma Vela. She was beautiful, but she was shy. She was quiet. She was a sophomore. We really had not heard of her before. <clears throat> 
But it was amazing. We were excited because she was not only beautiful on the outside, but beautiful on the inside. But when I got to school on Monday, I heard a story that made me even more happy that she had won the pageant. Because the pageant got over with late, late on Saturday night. And after she had won, you knew she had to be celebrated and excited. Big event, because to win that pageant was a big deal in our community. So I could only imagine how late she was up on Saturday night. But on Sunday morning, she got up and she went to church with her family, as her family did every week. And I heard the story of what happened. She went to church on Sunday morning and the crown she had won that Saturday night, she took to church with her. And during worship, she placed the crown on the altar. And that was a sincere act of faith because that's who she was. What she was saying is that all that I am and all that I have belongs to the Lord. That following Jesus as my Lord is the most important thing in my life. And it was a powerful statement of faith to all of us. And it still moves me because I wonder what Pastor Todd said. We all have a crown. We need to be aware of what it is. Something that's important to us, that defines us. Something that's maybe the most important thing in our life. The question is, will we put our crown on the altar? So think about it, what's our crown? Maybe it's a profession or a job or our intellectual ability. Maybe it's the house we live in. Maybe it's our money or our lifestyle or our friends or our family. It could be a lot of good things. Maybe it's our athletic ability or our musical ability or our ability to dance. Maybe it's a hobby. You may be the best person that you know at a video game and you're proud of your ability to do that. Or maybe you're the best cook in your family. Or maybe God has given us a handy uh, ability that we can make furniture or repair things. Or maybe we can create art. A thousand things and they're all good and they're all wonderful. In fact, these abilities and gifts are given by God. And there's not a problem at all unless they take the wrong priority in our lives. You see, God has blessed us with talents and gifts and abilities. But we don't need to put them before the giver of the gifts. The ancients had a word for that called idolatry. Remember the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? God wants to be first in our lives. The second is don't let anything, any person, any hobby, any talent come before God. So often it's these good things in our lives that if we get them out of the right priority and we put them first, that's what trips us up. We need to be honest about our crowns because most of us, our crowns are not some golden statue or calf. So very good things that take the wrong place in our lives. So we don't need to let our practice and our performance and our priorities take the wrong position. The truth of the matter is, think about, what's our crown? Do we place it on the altar? Is Jesus first in our lives, not with our words, but with our actions, as he said in Luke? Is our primary way of receiving energy and meaning in life our time with Jesus? Because the truth of the matter is, and we all know this, but young folks, you live in a complicated world. There is so much going on that is so busy, so much will come at you that will vie for your time and your interest and your heart. 
but at the core of your lives. I hope the decision that you made today and the confirmation that we're going to have in just a moment will define your story. I hope you will look back to this day and say, this is who I am. This, I lay my crown before Jesus because I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Oh, thank you. Would, would you pray with me? Well, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us, you have blessed us, you have given us so many gifts. But Lord, help us keep the right priority. Lord, every day may we worship you and follow you as our Lord. Lord, be in our minds in the way that we think. Lord, be in our lips in the way that we speak and the way that we write and the way that we communicate. Lord, be in our hearts and help us grow in you every day. Lord, we made this decision once. May we make it every day that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. For it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.